Good morning. My name is Jason, and I help lead one of the adult Bible classes here at FBC. Today we'll be reading from the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirming among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. Morning. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to consider your goodness and kindness to us in your word. We pray, Lord, that we, you would give us hearts of humility, willing to depend on you, to make known to us how we can know you better and trust you more, and turn our lives over to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, verses 4 through 9, as Jason read for us, it's sort of a greeting, and we're tempted in 1 Corinthians or any book of the Bible as we read the greeting to sort of cast it aside as sort of polite pleasantries as you would open any letter. But I think it's worth taking some time to think about the specific ways in which the Apostle Paul greeted the people of the church in Corinth because he really makes some interesting um, statements given what we know is coming up in the letter. We understand something about Paul's relationship uh, with the people of Corinth. And, and if you don't know much about the, the letter uh, of 1 Corinthians, um, they're not getting along. People of church aren't getting along. And uh, you say, well, that seems, well, it's a church. What would you expect, right? Well, they weren't getting along. They weren't getting along with each other, and they're also not getting along with the Apostle Paul. And so what he does in this greeting is he opens up to us what he bases his relationship on when thinking of the Corinthian believers. What is it? Is it uh, a sense of commonality? Is it a sense of uh, mutual affection? Is it uh, they, they have their favorite sports teams are the same? What is it that informs him related to his relationship with the people in uh, the city of Corinth. And the reality is, the basis of their relationship, we're going to learn in this little greeting, is who God is and what he is like. So the Apostle Paul's point of reference for relating and understanding and having relationship with the people of Corinth is, since God is loving, faithful, kind, gracious, I see you as... So he sees the Corinthians based on what he believes about God. So even though there are significant problems between the Apostle Paul and the people in Corinth and between the people within this church, they can have relationship with each other based on who God is. And so we have to understand something about who God is if we're going to have the same thing happen in our lives. Because I would imagine there might be people in your life that you don't get along with as well as, as you would like. And of course we understand, it's their fault, I get it. <laughs> I'm benefit of the doubt. 
But how can we, we might be tempted to think the only way to get along with people is if we have enough in common and there's as little as possible that we argue about. And the Apostle Paul shows us a different way. He says, what if relationship isn't dependent on the, on the individuals, but the relationship was dependent on who God is? And that's what he's going to argue for here in this greeting. So the title of the message today is God's Kindness. God's kindness. So in the first couple of verses, verses 4 through 7, I want to show you that God's kindness is Paul's reason for being thankful for the people in Corinth. God's kindness is the reason to be thankful. God's kindness is the reason that when he thinks of the people of the city of Corinth, he is moved to gratitude. Not because of the people, but because of God's kindness. Think about it this way. At any area of your life where maybe you've... Uh, observed some element of success, some element of things went the way you had hoped. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your parenting, maybe it's in what you've accomplished at work, maybe it's in your garden. Where you look at something in your life, you look, this went the, the way I wanted it. And what we tend to do is when something goes well, we take the credit. And when something goes poorly, of course, we blame others or outside circumstances. The Apostle Paul is going to do something very, very different here, and he wants us to learn from it. He's going to say, when something goes well, his, his question is, now what did God do here? What did God do here? Because if left to my own devices, things aren't going to go the way I would hope them to do. So Paul's focus is when he sees things that he's grateful for, he immediately goes, God must be up to something here. So it's God's kindness provides the Apostle Paul to have gratitude about his relationship with the people in the city of Corinth. So what we can tend to do is we can make the mistake of thinking that the good things in our life are the result of our efforts or the good relationship maybe that we have with the Lord, maybe things in your life, in your relationship with the Lord that you're, you're pleased with. We might be tempted to think that those things are true because of our efforts to follow God. And what Paul is going to show us in this greeting is that God did it all. That God is the one that we should have thankfulness for. Look at verse 4 again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So Paul expresses to the people of Corinth gratitude. I give thanks to who? God. Why does he give thanks? Because of the grace God gave them. Grace here, of course, is the grace we understand, is the, the verse that Seth read for us this morning from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're saved by his grace, God's undeserved favor and kindness. But in the book of Corinthians, grace is also going to have within it that notion of gift. It's a gift God gives. So God gives us his grace, that's relational closeness not deserved, but he also provides to us great blessing spiritual gifts, material gifts, relational gifts. And so what Paul is saying is he's observing the people in Corinth and saying, man, you guys have, you're doing great. The Lord has really been nice to you. And so I'm thankful to God for you. I'm thankful to God for what he is doing in your life, for the grace he has given you, the gifts God has given you through Jesus Christ. He is going to argue that they received these gifts from God, grace, because they didn't deserve them because they are sinners. We read from Acts 18 last week, and you can go back and read it on your own. 
Paul came and witnessed to the people of the city of Corinth, the Jews first and then the, the Gentiles, and many trusted Christ for forgiveness. This pagan town with many, many distractions from occult worship to sexual immorality, this group of people, by God's grace, he calls them into relationship with God, and, and God gives them the grace of righteousness in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm thankful to God for what he's doing in your life. And this isn't always uh, the case. The point isn't what gifts they have, but who provides uh, the gifts to them. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. We're going to get to this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 in well, about three years. That's 14 <laughs> chapters from now. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, now it sounds like he's, he's talking trash. He's talking church trash here. He's like <laughs> dropping the mic on him. What is he doing here? Here's what happens. Is God by his kindness bestows great gifts upon the people of the city of Corinth. And instead of having that same kind of gratitude that Paul is having, they have arrogance. Is look what God has done so we are amazing. We're awesome. God is working in our church in powerful ways and we're seeing incredible, miraculous things happening and we're seeing uh, lots of growth and uh, lots of people are being generous with their money and people are volunteering. It's everything anybody would have wanted. Church in Corinth, if it was around today, it would be hosting conferences so that churches could come to their church from all over the world and find out how they're doing it. How are they? They're so amazing. And Paul says... First of all, I'm more amazing. That's what he says. And he doesn't mean that. What he is saying is, look, you think you're awesome? I speak in tongues more than you do. His point is, it has nothing to do with me. It's God who does the work. So you being amazing is just God being amazing. And, and God working in my life, Paul is saying, is just simply God being amazing. The point isn't the gifts. The point is, what is God doing? Now, just briefly, because we'll get to it more in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, what is speaking in tongues? It's when a person, biblically, this is what happens in the Bible, a person speaks, say, I speak English. Now, you, you don't believe me, but English is my first language. <laughs> and say, I speak in English, and you only speak German. And I, I, I share the gospel with you in English, but you don't speak English, but you understand it in German, right? Does that make sense? So I'm not, I'm not speaking something I don't know. I'm talking to you in English, and you're hearing it in German. That would be... Well, that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. And so this is what we have happening. You look in Acts chapter 2, this happens, is people speak in their own language and other people hear it and understand it. So this is what the Corinthian believers, this was happening. And they were really excited about how awesome they were because this was happening in their church. And Paul says, God is awesome, not you. It is God we should be grateful for, not you. The point isn't what God has, what you are, the point is how kind God is. What God gives you as a gift, whether it be spiritual gifts, whether it be material resources, whether it be relational connections, whatever God gives to us is intended to be used to glorify him by building others up, not to build up our own egos. And that's what the people of Corinth were doing. They had a, a skewed vision of their own value. Because God is working, we're amazing. This happens all the time. A couple of churches in the book of Revelation. There's a, a church in Revelation 3. It's the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a wealthy 
city. In fact, it was so wealthy, I think I mentioned this before, that there was a great earthquake that destroyed the city of Laodicea, along with many other cities. And so the emperor of Rome sent a group of people to the city of Laodicea and said, tell me how much money you need so I can rebuild your city. It was a very important city of bank and commerce. And you know what the Laodiceans said to Rome? And we got it. Turn them away. We don't need your money. Laodicea, we got enough money to rebuild our city, and they in fact did. So the Laodiceans were wealthy, and as you might expect, the church in Laodicea was also very wealthy. And here's what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea because they had a messed up vision of value. Verse 17 of Revelation 3, you, this is the church in Laodicea, say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Were those true? Technically, in a worldly sense, but here's what Jesus said to them. You don't realize you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You've got to say that naked. That's how, that's, that's how I pronounce that word. See, they had a skewed view of value. They said, so since we got all the stuff, we're, good, we're important. We matter because God has blessed us with a gift, in this case of Laodicea, of material wealth. So therefore, we have value. And Jesus is saying that you misunderstood value. And you've misunderstood that because of your spiritual condition, you're actually properly described as wretched, poor, and naked. This also happened to another church, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. But, but the flip side, this is the church of Smyrna. Jesus says this to that church, I know your tribulation, tribulation and your poverty. But look, what's it say there? But you are rich. See, he's valuing things differently, isn't he? Jesus is seeing things very, very differently. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to the people of Corinth. You are failing to rightly understand value because powerful uh, works of the Holy Spirit are happening in your church. You think you're amazing. And he's saying, no, no, no. Because powerful spiritual works are happening in church, God is amazing. His, he is gracious to you that these things are happening. So Paul understands value. So this is how Paul described his own life. This is in 2 Corinthians. Here's how he described his own life and how people didn't understand him properly. As an apostle, we are treated as, as imposters, yet we are true. We are treated as unknown, yet well-known. He's implying there by the Lord. We are treated as dying because they were being persecuted. But indeed, we live. We are treated as punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As, have, as, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So Paul is describing his own state. Impoverished, persecuted, beat down, undervalued. And he said, go ahead. I'm going to explain to you how God values what's happening here because it's his grace. And he says, I see my wealth as what God has done for me, his gifts to me. What has God graciously bestowed on me as, a, as an apostle is the opportunity to make others rich with the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So pa Paul understood the value of the kingdom of God and the people of Corinth were missing it. And so he says to the people of Corinth, I am thankful... Not because you're amazing. I'm thankful that God is amazing. That he is able to work in your midst despite the brokenness that is going to become apparent as we work our way through the book 
of 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what he says. In every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. He's saying, look, we, I saw the work of God in your midst. In fact, he was so astounded by the gifting that God had given them in the ministries of the Spirit that in his mind it confirmed that they had rightly believed the gospel. They had rightly believed that uh, Jesus saved sinners. So this church in Corinth had put their faith in Christ and one of the confirming elements of it, not the only one, but one of the confirming elements of their faith is the power of God working in their midst. But unfortunately, the people of Corinth became arrogant because of the work of God in their midst. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul, with all kinds of sarcasm, he says this about them. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. He is sarcastically describing the people of Corinth the way they would have described themselves. Amazing, impressive, rich with the Spirit of God, rich with the powerful power of God. If you would have gone to the city of Corinth and said, have you read such and such? Of course we have. They, there is nothing they don't know. And as gifted philosophers and speakers, they valued highly people who were able to know everything there was to know and then communicate it in powerful ways. We might even say this, first, or the city of Corinth is where TED Talks started. Everybody was watching those on YouTube at the time. Everybody would see as soon as it popped up on their YouTube feed that somebody from Corinth was going to give a TED Talk. Oh, we got to listen to this. These people know what they're talking about and they know how to say it. They are gifted in speech and knowledge. Sometimes we have one or the other. Some people are gifted in speech, but they have nothing to say. <laughs> Others are gifted in knowledge and can't understand their saying. The Corinthians were the opposite. Gifted in both speech and knowledge. And Paul is saying, oh, you are so amazing, sarcastically. Because he's saying you're not amazing. Because you misunderstood. The source of what's going on in your midst is the power of God. He's calling them in this friendly greeting to humility. Because notice in the greeting, go back to 1 Corinthians 1, he doesn't say he's thankful to them. I am so thankful that I planted a church in Corinth and man, I'm so glad you guys did everything right and became a big church with lots of special effects. I'm going to be able to write a book someday about church planting in Corinth because this church did, he wasn't thankful to them. He was thankful for them because of what God had been doing because Corinth themselves they had become arrogant about God's gifts to them finally look at the beginning of verse 7 Christ is working in their midst so that they are not lacking any gift they're not lacking any gift Paul is thankful to God and how he had equipped this church. Nothing was lacking in their midst for God's work to be accomplished. He's going to describe later in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body is made up of many parts. And he's described different roles and functions within the body of believers. In fact, let's look at a couple of them in, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 8. 
Some of the things that God gifts by the, by the power of his spirit. He says, uh, uh, to one is given the utterance of wisdom, to another, knowledge, to, the, to another, faith by this same spirit, to another, gifts of healing, to another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits. That's, that's not the ability to tell, is this vodka or whiskey? I just need, <laughs> just want to make sure you understand. Different kind of spirits, this, it's like this is a demon, this is an angel kind of thing, not, I want to make sure we're on the same page there. To another, various kinds of tongue. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each out according to, as it says here in verse 11, as he wills. Now, if you want to, look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning in about verse 6. These aren't up on the screen. These are a game day ad. Some more gifts are listed in Romans 12. You have gifts according to the grace given us. Who gives the gifts? God, according to what? Your awesomeness, right? You get, according to your potential. Boy, God really sees something in you. Yeah, he sees something in you. His spirit. According to his grace, he gives prophecy. Verse 7, service as, as another spiritual gift. To another one, teaching as a spiritual gift. To another one, exhortation. How do you know if your gift is, is the gift of exhortation? You walk in a room and everybody leaves. They're like, I'm out of here. Exhortation man's in the house. To another one, generosity through contributions, financial contributions. To another one, leadership, a spiritual gift of leadership. To another one, the spiritual gift of zeal. To another one, the spiritual gift of mercy. How do you know if, if you might have one of these spiritual gifts? When it irritates you that other people don't see the need in that area the way you do. So when you see somebody is hurting and it drives you nuts that nobody is seeking to make uh, help available to the person who is hurting, you might have uh, the gift of mercy. If you see somebody doing something wrong and you're on the phone to an elder of the church saying, somebody needs to go and tell this Yahoo how he ought to live his life, guess what? You might be the somebody. You might have the spiritual gift of exhortation. If you, if you look at something and say, somebody ought to get these people into order and get, you know, pass out some instructions here to get, some, get this figured out, you might have the spiritual gift of leadership. So what Paul is saying is, in the city of Corinth, which one of these was lacking? None. He said, can you believe that? I mean, at any given time, in any church you might have attended, haven't you often wondered, well, who's in charge here? Have you often wondered, well, where's the outreach here? Where is the encouragement here? Where's the, where's the ministry of mercy here? Where is it? And you wonder, and, and a lot of times it's because that particular spiritual gift hasn't shown up. But in the city of Corinth, what does Paul say? You got the full deck of cards. Can you believe that? And what he is saying about this church, this is God's grace to you. God has moved in your church in an incredible way. Is all the pieces that need to be in place for God to work in an incredible way are in your church. 
And Paul is thankful for that. He's not thankful to the Corinthians. They didn't do anything to deserve it. It's the grace of God in the midst of the church. He is thankful to God that he is working in this church in such a powerful way. Here's what's interesting about Paul. What's interesting about Paul is he can be so thankful for what God is doing in the midst of the church in Corinth, even there's so much going wrong. It's not either or for him. He can be thankful for what God is doing, even though there are so many things that aren't going right. He was thankful even in the brokenness in the city of Corinth because he's thankful that it is God who finishes the work in people's lives, not the people. It is God who is going to see people to the end. We tend to be one or the other with people. We're either thankful for what God is doing in their life or wishing God would smack them upside the head. We are either thankful for people or we are overly critical of people. Paul is both thankful for what God is doing in their life, and as we're going to see as we work through the book of Corinthians, he is also very honest with them about things that are going on that, that miss the mark of God's calling in their life. He can do both. He can be thankful and call them to account at the same time. And this is God's kindness. The, the reason that Paul is thankful for the people of, in the city of Corinth is because of God's kindness. Why is it that Paul would reflect so profoundly on God's kindness to a church like Corinth? And the reason is this, is because he understood God's kindness to his own heart. This is where that comes from. The way we understand other people, we, the way we can have compassion on others who are struggling is when we recognize how much we needed God's grace in our own life. And to the degree we don't have compassion on others is the degree we have failed to understand how much grace God had in our own life. Because God saves sinners, even sinners like us. And it's only because of his grace. So God's kindness, that's the reason that Paul was thankful. That's the reason we ought to be thankful as well. Let's continue into the second part of this short passage in... Uh, the second part of verse 7 through 9. Let me read it. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God's kindness, first of all, we said, is the reason to be thankful. Secondly, God's kindness is the reason we can endure. God's kindness is the reason we're thankful, certainly. But here, Paul is saying God's kindness is the reason we can endure. You might fly on an airplane, so let's say from San Francisco to London Heathrow. It's a long flight. If you've taken that flight, it's a long flight. And it's tiring, isn't it? It's tiring. No matter how many movies and free crackers you eat, it's still kind of exhausting to fly from San Francisco to uh, London, And it's generated uh, what I might call the pinnacle of dad jokes. I flew from San Francisco to London. Boy, are my arms tired. You got some dads in the house? All right, nice. Okay, good. As long as we're on the same page. So we said, well, yeah, that's exhausting. That's tiring. How is it that you got from San Francisco to London? Is it because you were able to endure the length of flight? No. It's because there was a guy flying the plane. You had a pilot and a co-pilot. And a whole crew of people helping you uh, endure this flight in, in comfort. Not only that, there's, there's like a big piece of equipment you're in. It's got multiple engines that are powered by jet fuel. 
You are providing very little to the equation. We understand this. The plane is getting you to London. You are not getting to London. What are you doing? Complaining about the size of your seat, these sorts of things. Listen, you didn't even put your bag on the plane. Maybe you put it in the overhead bin if you got on first or grab the old lady's bag, put it on the floor and put yours in. <laughs> you write that down. That's a good idea. I'm right there. What we tend to think, we're flying from San Francisco to London, or in this case, from here to home, and we tend to make the mistake of thinking that we're going to make it, that somehow we're the ones that have to endure to the end. And that's like taking credit for flying to London. Listen, if you want to take credit for flying to London, then fly. Or at least get yourself from here to there. First of all, you have to walk across the continental United States. That's tiring. Then you get to the coast. Now you've got to swim. Now, if you were to do that, if you were to get to London by walking and then swimming, and then you said, you know, boy, are my arms tired, to say, I bet they are. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. I mean, yes. That's what we think we're doing in our Christian life. We're trudging across the United States and we hit water, we're going to swim across. No. No, that's what Paul is. No, that's not what's happening. What's happening is you are being carried along by the power of God's grace in your life from here to there. We, we must not make the mistake of thinking it is our ability that keeps us following God and that getting to the end faithfully depends on our dedication and strength. It is God that does it start to finish. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, we wait for God's glory. The day of the Lord as the Bible describes it. Let me just clue you into something. It hasn't happened yet. It's still yet to come. And the reason I mention this is in particular that the believers in the city of Corinth were under the impression that sort of the Lord's return had happened. Or at least all the, the good stuff of the Lord's return should be happening right now. They expected this, they would argue, is if, since God is on his throne and since he's in charge of the world, if you're a good Christian, God's going to make you wealthy. And if you're a good Christian, he's going to make you powerful and important. And if you're a good Christian, your kids are going to be obedient and kind. And, and all of these notions that since I'm in Christ, this world becomes a little bit of heaven. Does this sound familiar? Just turn on Christian TV. This is not a new thing. This is this over uh, understanding, well, since I'm in Christ, I get to experience heaven now. No, when you experience the kingdom of God, you will know it. If you think you're there, let me just be honest with you, you ain't. <laughs> it's not here yet. We wait for Christ's glory the day, of the, Lord, the day of the Lord. In fact, we have all of God's kingdom, all of God's promises. We have all of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, but we have not yet experienced that to, it, that to its fullest yet. We experience a bit of it. We experience answered prayer. We experience God's comfort in our hearts, but we also experience the realities of living in a world that's ruined by sin, don't we? We still suffer sorrows. And he wants to remind the Corinthian believers is we still live in a broken world. See, what happens in a church that has decided they've got to make heaven come now and all good Christians have good things coming their way, what happens is suddenly the people who, their life isn't lining up like that. Do you know anybody like this? They're really, really good Christians and their life is awful? Some of us said, yeah, it's me. 
trying to follow the Lord and it's really, really, really hard. But if you're going to a body of believers like the, the believers in Corinth, they're constantly being told, if you follow Jesus, everything goes your way. What happens over the course of time? The only people in that room are people where things are going their way. Everybody else left. And then it's not surprising. It's a big echo chamber of everybody sitting around who's super successful in Jesus saying, if you're not successful in Jesus, you're not in Jesus. And Paul is saying, we are waiting for the revealing of the Lord. We are waiting for, it's not here yet. That full glory will come one day. We're not trying to make this world heaven. Christ will make heaven. He's better at making heaven than you are, isn't he? How are we going to get there from here? Because it's a long road. Verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Who sustains you? Your disciplined devotional life. No. Who sustains you? Your rigorous prayer life. Is that in there? No. Who sustains you? Your commitment to scripture memory. No, that doesn't sustain you. Who sustains you? You say no to the really naughty sins. I mean, the, there are some sins that are okay. Like, for example, gossip. That's totally okay. Wait, no laughing on that one. <laughs> Seth, make a note. Sermon on gossip. Okay, got it. <laughs> Who sustains you to the end? Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't trust our own strength. God gets us from here to there. Righteous in Jesus. On the day you cross the threshold into glory, why will Jesus count you righteous? Because you overcame some sin in your life? No, I hope you do overcome some sin in your life for the glory of Christ so that when you walk across the threshold, he says you are righteous in Christ. He takes you across the threshold. This is Paul calling the city of Corinth. If you're arrogant, be humbled. God is getting you there, not you. For the lowly, those who are downtrodden and feeling the weight of the burden of living in a broken world, Paul is lifting us up and saying, look, don't worry about it. Christ has you. I want to give you an example. I hesitate to because it's really depressing. And it may strike a little bit close to home for some of us. I've heard this dozens of times. So if you've said this, I don't want you to feel bad about it. It's normal. But I'm also going to show you how maybe it's wrong-headed thinking. Now I got quiet. <laughs> Quieter than the gossip thing. One of the hard parts about living in a broken world is some of us, as we get older, our minds begin to fail. Alzheimer's and dementia. I don't know a family that isn't touched by this to some degree, right? Now, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a dozen times. In his life or her life, he loved the Lord. He read his Bible. Listened to hymns only. Sorry, that's what I heard. And so now, in this moment of brokenness, this saint quotes verses and sings hymns. And really, that's beautiful in a, in a way. That's a touching sentiment. And in, in many ways, I hope, if God has that in my journey, that that is my story. But how many of us know family members who, as we have gone into that place, didn't quote verses and sing hymns? 
In fact, sometimes our personalities change significantly. And in our flesh, we're broken, whether our mind is whole or our mind is fractured, isn't it? And so what we've mistakenly done is foisted on Christians today, your Christian life better be so good that if God leads you down the road of dementia, you stay good. Can you, you see, is that right? What does the Bible say? It says, Christian, if God has in your future a mind that loses touch, who will sustain you? Not you. I mean, for me, that's great comfort because this is in my family. This may very well be my future. I don't have to worry whether or not I'll be a good Christian if my mind goes. I just need to worry if I have a good enough Savior to keep me close if my mind goes. And this is what matters. The question is not how good are we today or how good are we when things go downhill. The question is how good is our Savior? The Corinthian believers became convinced they were close with God because they were awesome. There's too many variables. There's too many things. And Paul wants to remind them. He, Jesus Christ, verse 8, he sustains you to the end guiltless. You get to the end because Jesus gets you there. You get there guiltless because Jesus gets you there. What's your job? Let him do his job. Worship him with your life. This is echoed in another place, Philippians verse, chapter 1, verse 6. I think it's probably a verse many of you have committed to memory. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you got you started so you could finish. All right, but that's how we live our life as Christians. It's crazy. Jesus, it's like, he, okay, go for it. It's crazy. It's just not biblical. Paul says in Philippians 1, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus knows precisely where he means to have you in him on the day of your departure, and he will not mess that up. And you cannot mess that up. If you have the ability to mess up Jesus' plan, that means you are God. You're not. Jesus says, I will finish the job. Okay, let's go back to verse 9. 1 Corinthians 1, we're almost done. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The foundation of Paul's relationship with God, God's faithfulness. The foundation of the Corinthians' relationship with God, God's faithfulness. So therefore, the, the foundation of the relationship of Paul to the Corinthians is what? God's faithfulness. Not the Corinthians' faithfulness, not Paul's faithfulness, it's God's faithfulness. It's God's character, his nature, the way he operates his kindness since he is faithful. Both Paul and the Corinthian believers know they have a relationship with God and since they're both counting on God's faithfulness, they can have a relationship with each other even though they're not perfect. Even though there's uh, high levels of brokenness in their life. The basis of the strength of Paul and the Corinthian believers is God's faithfulness. Look what he says. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So when we were lost in our sin, it is God who comes to us and he calls us into relationship by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
If you want to see what that looks like, there's a great chapter in the book of Ezekiel. It's a famous chapter. It's the chapter of dry bones. Anybody heard of this? I don't know where it is. You'll have to Google it. I don't know. Look it up. I didn't. And so Ezekiel is told, preach to the dry bones. And uh, when, when I read that, I said, Ezekiel's been here. He knows what this is like. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's terrible. That's rude. I'm kidding. No. He said, preach to the dry bones. That, and the Holy, it says the Holy Spirit went into the... And so as, as, as Ezekiel was preaching, a, a skeleton in the back rose his hand and came forward, didn't it? Rose his hand. He said, I see that hand. Don't worry, the buses will wait, he said. Just as I am. One more chorus, George Beverly Shea. The buses will wait. Jason, the old people get that joke. Then. <laughs> but no, what do skeletons do? Nothing. Who did all the work? The Spirit brought the breath into them. And then it says flesh showed up onto the skeletons. It was the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark in reverse. <laughs> the skeletons were suddenly covered with flesh and they stood up and God says, look at my army, my people that have been given life by the power of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does for each one of us in Christ. He calls us in a moment. Suddenly we say, I need life in Christ. I'm living a life of death because I'm separated from God. And that is God opening your eyes to that. And what you need to do in that moment is trust Jesus. And say, I need God. God, I need your life. I need your faithfulness. I need your kindness because my life is a life of brokenness and sin. And in that moment, he gives us life. And he doesn't leave us on our own. He then carries us, the Bible is saying here, carries us to the very end by his faithfulness. Paul is showing us in this brief introduction that he's thankful for what God has done even though the Corinthian believers have taken God's gifts and become arrogant. Paul trusts that God's work is still going to be done. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Again, a familiar verse. Tells us how Paul views other people. It's really, really interesting. Remember in the book of Philippians, Paul is in jail, writing from prison. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here, that is prison, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. So what happened while Paul was in prison, some preachers decided, well, he's in jail. We can go and preach the gospel and gather up, snatch up some of his followers to follow us. And most of the time they're doing this for financial gain. And so, of course, Paul's going to be upset about this, right? No, look what he says, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Some people are out trying to preach the gospel to steal followers from me. Man, the gospel's being preached. Good for you. I mean, can you imagine? This is Paul's mindset. Gratitude for the work of God. Even if people are doing the work of God out of pretense and envy and arrogance. And this is why he can address the Corinthian believers the way he does. Because of God's kindness, he's thankful for them. And because he understands that because of God's kindness, the Corinthian believers will endure along with the Apostle Paul. A couple of parting thoughts here. Sometimes it's hard to be thankful for other people in our life. Don't look at them. <laughs> They're in the room. Don't look at your Bible. 
one of the things we discover here from the Apostle Paul is actually a really good strategy for fighting resentment in our life. Because it's easy to have resentment. People do things that, are, that we, we find very frustrating. And we can become resentful. Resentment reveals in our hearts. When we have resentment for others in our life, whether they're people very close to us or people in our past, resentment shows us we wish not only that they were different, we wish God was different. And what Paul does is he says, you know, one of the ways I can battle resentment is to have a habit built in my life of gratitude for what God is doing. Even if somebody isn't great, is there something God is doing in their life that I can be grateful for? Even if somebody is frustrating or even has caused some hurt, one of the ways he battles resentment is say, I don't have to be uh, sort of put on a fake smile. He's saying, well, well, God, I can look for ways that I can be thankful for this person because of the work you're doing, not because of them. I don't have any thankfulness for them right now, Paul might even say. He's saying, I am grateful, God, that you are working in this person. How is that even possible? How is it even possible that for someone that we might have great resentment for or, or has hurt us in, in a significant way, how is it even possible that we might express gratitude for, to God for what he's doing in the life of that individual? And this is how it's possible. When we intentionally look at our own lives and realize we don't deserve God to be working in our own lives, this is, it's easy to show gratitude for what God is doing in others' lives when we recognize we don't deserve it. And this, this is the problem. What happens is, as we've lived our Christian life, maybe a few things you've figured out and you're getting right. Maybe you don't say the swears as much and you don't watch radar movies. I don't know, whatever your mark of righteousness is. Maybe you go to church at least three times a year. I don't know what the standard is nowadays. So you've got some things you've figured out. And so you start kind of feeling like, yeah, I've got it. You know, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. You would never say it out loud. When we feel like we deserve God's grace, nobody else does. And that, that's what happens. When we feel like we finally paid God back a little bit, we're frustrated with people in our lives who keep getting God's grace even though they clearly don't deserve it. And what Paul does is flip that up. He says, I need God's grace again today. I need God's grace again today. And that awareness of our own need of God's grace even again today opens up our hearts to allow gratitude that God is extending his grace to others, others that we might have resentment for. That's one of the ways we can fight resentment. Gratitude for God for his grace even on others who have caused us harm. One last thing and then we'll close. The Christian life has various ups and downs. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you've been a Christian more than 20 minutes, you have ups and downs. You have days when you feel faithful and days when you feel faithless. You have days when God feels like he's blessing your socks off and days where you wonder where your socks went. <laughs> and it's hard to wonder sometimes, well, how am I going to get there? How am I? Some days you're faced with temptation. You say no all day long. It's no big deal. And the next day you say yes to everything. You anyway, how am I going to get home from here? This is what's fantastic about what the grace of God. He's the one who's going to carry us home. He's the one that's going to carry us home. I've mentioned this before. You've heard about this uh, footprints in the sand poem. Have you read this, foot, this, sand, this poem? Uh, I was watching and then there was only one set of footprints. It's when he was carrying me. But that's not my story. My story is a set of footprints in a place where somebody was clearly being dragged. 
Like, I'm not like laying in his arms, carry me, Lord. I'm kicking and screaming. I mean, maybe, maybe this is you. Because somehow we think, well, even when I'm being carried, I deserve it because I'm easy to carry. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. He's the one that's going to get us home. He's the one that's going to get you home. So what's our response in that? Gratitude. Jesus, you would save a guy like me. Jesus, you would take someone like me from here to home. It's incredible. And that gratitude for what God does for our hearts moves us to allow us to be grateful for what God is doing, even in the people around us that are really hard to deal with. God's kindness, the reason to be thankful, and the reason we can endure. God, we thank you for your love toward us. We thank you for your mercy towards us. God, we are grateful that you would save sinners like us. And God, our prayer would be that uh, those who are here this morning who don't know you yet would be moved by your spirit to trust Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who have grown arrogant and self-satisfied in our Christian life that your word this morning might humble us to be reminded again of how much we need you. God, I pray for those of us who have been beaten down and discouraged and feel like failures that in this moment we might experience renewal in remembering. It is you, Jesus, that carries us home. God, for many of us, we do have people in our own lives as we consider and think about the resentments and the hurts and the pains that we carry in relationships that have been fractured. God, would you give us the grace of seeing what health looks like as we express gratitude toward you. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. We're grateful that you would work even in a group of believers like us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up with us as we close with a song.